You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Criticism. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, there's a story that has important implications. I want to share the story first, and then we'll bring out the implications later on. The setting was when the Israelites were on their way after having escaped Egypt and travelling over land heading for Canaan, which is known these days as the region around Israel and Jordan. The Lord was looking after his people, and each day provided manna, a white, flaky substance that came down at night and was found on the ground in the morning. Manna must have been a complete food, as the people remained healthy and did not suffer from any dietary deficiencies for the forty years while they lived on it. Moses was the Lord's appointed leader of this group of, it's estimated, at two million people. If you're aware of the Bible story about Moses, he was the baby Hebrew boy whose mother saved his life by providing a floating basket and hiding him in a patch of papyrus reeds in the River Nile in Egypt. Moses' older sister Miriam was the girl who kept watch over her baby brother's floating cradle. There was another sibling, Aaron, who was probably at least two years older than Moses. Back to the story. In their wilderness experience, Miriam especially became jealous of Moses. She and Aaron, who I suspect was easily led, connived together and criticised Moses on a number of issues. Firstly, they criticised Moses for not consulting them about important leadership issues. Secondly, they criticised him because he had married a darker-skinned Midianite woman instead of an Israelite. Thirdly, they accused Moses' wife, probably Zipporah, for driving the decisions that Moses made. In modern parlance, we would say, she made the bullets and he had to fire them. Here in Australia, we've seen what happens when a political party is not united. Factions develop, often leading to leadership spills. Disorder is the result of backbiting and criticism. But God had appointed Moses to be leader of his people and that made a huge difference. So there was Miriam and Aaron railing against their brother and Moses heard about it. Numbers 12 verse 3 tells of Moses' reaction to the discontent. I'll read to you from the clear word a paraphrase version of the Bible. It says, Moses, though he had been given great authority, was a humble man, more humble and meek than any other man on the face of the earth. He heard about their criticism but said nothing about it to either Aaron or Miriam. To say nothing when people criticise you takes guts. Moses was humble, but he was not a coward. 
He could have confronted his sister and brother, but out of respect for them he remained silent. But the matter does not rest there. God knew what was happening and needed to stamp out the dissension, so he called all three to come into the courtyard and stand near the entrance to the sanctuary. The Lord then came down over the sanctuary in a cloud and asked Miriam and Aaron to step forward. Then the Lord said, and this is from verse 6, Listen to me. When I choose someone to be a prophet, I reveal myself to him in visions and speak to him in dreams. But my servant Moses is different. I've put him in charge of all the people, and he has faithfully done what I told him to do. I don't speak to him in visions and dreams that people can question, but talk with him plainly as two men face each other. I've allowed him to see only my back and protected him so he wouldn't die when he saw me. On what basis then do you have a right to be jealous and feel neglected because there were times when he didn't consult you before doing what I asked him to do. Why would you blame his wife for this? And then verses 9 and 10 go on to say, The Lord was very displeased with them, particularly with Miriam, who had started all this with her seditious whispering. Then the Lord's cloud lifted. When it did, Miriam was covered all over with leprosy, and her whole body turned deathly white. When Aaron saw what had happened to his sister, he felt severely rebuked for listening to her and said to Moses, We've been fools. We were led astray by jealousy. We admit we were wrong and that we have sinned against the Lord. Aaron then went on to ask Moses to plead with the Lord to take away the leprosy and heal her. Now, back in those days, leprosy was regarded as a most serious disease. God had previously given the Israelite people laws regarding diet, about sexual matters and about quarantine, along with various other issues. Leprosy was regarded as contagious and anyone who contracted that disease was required to live away from the people. A leper would be banished and had to live outside the camp. Moses did intercede. He prayed for his sister to be healed and God healed her because of his sake. But she never got away with her rebellion without consequence. Although healed, she was banished from the camp and had to live alone for a period of seven days. I feel that during that time, she had plenty of time to think about what she had done and probably made a firm resolution to keep her mouth shut in future and not to question what God had put in place. <clears throat> now, if you're thinking that leprosy is a disease that no longer exists in these times, you'd be wrong. Leprosy still exists, 
and there are leprosariums, that is, leper colonies, still in existence. Lepers are not allowed to live with the general public. Australia had a leper colony at Peel Island off the southeast coast of Queensland. One of the last people confined on Peel Island was Phyllis Ibich, who spent 12 years there isolated from her family and society. Hers is an interesting story, although it turned out that Phyllis was wrongly diagnosed. With Miriam, another issue was at stake. The reason she grumbled about Moses was that she was jealous of him. She was jealous because she was power-hungry and wanted some of his authority. In a way, she was setting up a challenge. She wanted to be like Moses and to rule the people. Being isolated from the people completely overturned her ambitions. She wanted power to rule. Being isolated, she had no one to rule over. And this was a big disappointment, especially since she had become a leper. She was classed as an outcast. I think God was very gracious to heal her. Long before this, a similar challenge took place in heaven. Lucifer, a special angel, became jealous of God. Lucifer wanted the power to rule. He wanted others to worship him. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, is recorded what Lucifer desired. He said, I will be great in the heavens. I will be in charge of the stars of God. I will sit next to God on the sacred mountain in the north where he governs the universe. I will dwell in the highest heaven far above the clouds. I will be like the Almighty. I will be like the Most High God. Revelation chapter 12 verses 8 and 9 tells what happened. The dragon, that's Lucifer, and his angels were not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon that was defeated was cast out of heaven with his angels. It was Satan, that ancient serpent also called the devil. He and his angels were hurled, that is, banished, to the earth. Miriam was infected with the disease, leprosy, and she was banished. Satan was infected with a spiritual disease, sin, and unfortunately, in turn, he infected the whole world with sin. Just as God healed Miriam, he can heal those who, although infected with sin, are willing to have God heal and forgive them through their intercessor, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, speaking about Jesus in his role as high priest, says this, Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. I expect there are many people who don't believe this story that I've just told you about Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Some do not believe the Bible and claim that it's just a collection of man-made stories, myths and legends. Others who claim to be Christians write off the Old Testament with the excuse that it is there simply to provide moral guidance only and that the stories and events are fictitious. One of my colleagues actually stated that one day during a lunch break. He said he believed Jesus and what Jesus said, but he didn't believe any of that Old Testament stuff. This was a very shallow argument, as Jesus believed in that Old Testament stuff, and Jesus accepted as a fact, including about Moses. Now there are two other things I would like to share with you, but we're going to do that after the break. There's just not enough words to explain the way I feel. I felt the love of Jesus and I know it's real. There's just not enough songs for voices to sing. To give thanks unto the Lord, Jesus Christ the King. So just praise the Lord. Take ten thousand years to tell of the joy of Jesus, one who really cares. There's just not enough ways to live my life for Him, for He gave us all for me that I might live again. So just praise the Lord.
the argument that the Old Testament is irrelevant, as according to my colleague, is a very weak argument. Secondly, the Old Testament has many prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. And as I've mentioned in a previous program, there are about 350 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And thirdly, those who only accept the New Testament need to realise that it supports the Old Testament. Take Hebrews 11, for example. It's often called the faith chapter. Here, Old Testament characters are given as example or examples of people of faith. Moses is mentioned. Why don't you read Hebrews 11 for yourself? Because Satan is in opposition to God, it is his purpose to discredit God in every way he can, and part of that is to discredit the Bible. Communism, materialism and evolution are three of Satan's current means employed to discredit God's word and, of course, to discredit God. Miriam and Aaron criticised Moses because of his wife, who had darker skin than they. The Bible condemns racial prejudice because all humanity, whether black, white, short, tall, Caucasian or mongoloid, owes its existence to God the Creator. Galatians 3 verse 28 is one of several texts with the same meaning about this issue. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When someone condemns others because of their physical characteristics, the person who does the condemning sets himself or herself up as a judge. It is as if they say, I'm better than you. Moses was a humble, meek man. Although he had been appointed by God to be the leader of a nation, he never let it go to his head. He never became proud and never expected special privileges or obeisance from the people. He realised that as their leader... He was the servant of the people. What an example. If our leaders, politicians and rulers would be like Moses, this world would be a much better place. Unfortunately, many people in leadership use their positions and power for their own advantage and sometimes regard themselves above the law. When our leaders do wrong, it provides excuses for the general populace to do wrong too. Leaders are in positions of trust and must be very careful to honour that trust. If Moses was here today and was running to be Prime Minister of our country, I'd vote for him because I'd know that he could be trusted and would not use his position of power to his own advantage. We have reason to thank God for people of integrity 
especially those we choose to represent us in government and those in public office like teachers and police. They need to be people of integrity. Now we come to the most important issue to do with the story about Miriam and Aaron's discontent. Moses had been appointed by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to the land he promised would be their new home, Canaan. Miriam and Aaron were not appointed, but by belonging to the same family as Moses, they thought they should have some say in making decisions. As a result, they grumbled about being left out of the decision-making process. They grumbled about Moses' choice of a wife, and they grumbled about the wife. God was quite displeased about what they did, because not only were they questioning Moses, but in effect they were questioning God. God gave Moses his position and authority. Moses was not answerable to anyone but God. It was not the place of Moses' siblings to question or criticise God's appointed one. The main point to consider here is that no one is in a position to question God because he is so much more wise, intelligent and powerful than any of us human beings. Who is man that he should question or change anything that God has established. Back at creation, there were two institutions that God put in place. Genesis chapter 2 tells about both of these institutions. The first was marriage between a man and a woman. The second was the Sabbath, established as the holy day, the day of rest. You should know that man has fiddled with both of these institutions. We have now legalised same-sex marriage, and we have a different day other than the one God authorised as the day of worship and rest. Now God was very displeased with Miriam and her role in disregarding his decision to have only Moses as the leader of the Hebrews and I think God's displeasure applies today with the same sex marriage and holy day issues. God punished Miriam with a very severe punishment, leprosy. And I think God is very displeased with theologians and ministers who teach that same sex marriage is acceptable and I think God is very displeased with those who teach that Sunday has replaced the true day of worship. Although there are some good reasons to keep Sunday as a holy day, those reasons are not good enough, especially as they countermand what God specifically put in place. It's all very well to praise God for his grace and mercy for the forgiveness of sin, but anyone who accepts that grace must also accept the responsibility to do what God commands.
In 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 is this statement. Whoever claims to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. And how did Jesus walk? That is, how did he live? Here's what Jesus said about himself in John 15:10. He said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus never attempted to question or change what his Father had put in place because he loved and respected his Father. He obeyed him. It's my strong opinion that no one has the right to challenge or change anything God has instituted. If you attempted to think that same-sex marriage and Sunday worship is acceptable to God, then you too may come under God's severe displeasure and punishment, as did Miriam. Well, with those heavy thoughts, we're going to stop for today. Take notice of this story and make the decision that you too will walk in obedience just as Jesus walked. In the